Well, hello, everyone. Good to be here tonight with you. And um, good to see each one here tonight. It's good to be in the area a little bit. I'm at Boca tomorrow night. I'm staying up there, and uh, I guess I'll be coming back here Friday night, taking Malcolm's place to minister to the young people, and uh, then a book on Sunday. It's a little bit of a, a nice thing. My son is in the area. He's works in advertising with cars, car industry, and there's a car show apparently somewhere in this area. So it's a chance to see him. Hopefully he'll come down with me on Friday night, and we'll spend a little time hanging, hanging out together. When I thought about Megan's boot, I thought of Alan because he was buying boots the last time I talked to him, he's in Michigan, Detroit. Now, we don't buy winter boots, but it's getting cold, starting to snow up there. So um, good to be here with you tonight. We want to think about fruitfulness. And um, I was talking to one of the brothers just before, uh, just a little, little, little earlier, was asking about the work in Land O'Lakes. And I just asked a little, a little prayer uh, about something. You know, it's just interesting uh, what the Lord does and how the Lord works. Uh, for a long time, we, we labored as a small group, sometimes 25, sometimes 15, sometimes 30, for many years. And uh, one thing leads to another, and you begin to work, and the Lord is added to our group. But this, just the last month or so, we came in contact with a group um, it's called, uh, this, this group is called Lakeshore Bible Church. And we got to know them a little bit, and they, they meet a lot like an assembly. They have a weekly Lord's Supper. Uh, they had two elders, um, um, those kinds of things. So we didn't know them very well. But for one, for different reasons, they, they closed their doors. And uh, they were up to about 40 or 50 or maybe 60 people. But they were down to about four or five families. We got to know them. And so this past Sunday, they all came out, 25 of them. 25 came out, met the elders, met the different ones that were there. But, you know, it was very interesting. Uh, you know, when the ladies came, all the ladies had head coverings on. And that was very, very interesting. I talked to them. Uh, I talked to two of them. And I said, that's interesting. You know, it's not. I said to them, I said, usually when someone visits, they ask me about the head coverings. Uh, but this time I'm going to ask you about that head coverings. So I said, how did you come about to wear head coverings? Uh, They said, well, we read it in the Bible, and we decided we'd do it. And that was very encouraging. One of the families has seven girls, six girls, and the wife is pregnant with a boy. So they're they're rejoicing about this. But uh, it's really nice to see them all come in uh, with their head coverings. And so you can pray about that. I don't know everything about them. We had a, a picnic last Sunday, and they came out. We talked. We fellowshiped. A little bit. I don't know a whole lot about them. I think they're sound uh, from what I can tell, but I just would pray. You know, when 25 people come into your group, um, uh, you know, it's a bit of an adjustment. So we might have 55 or 60, 25. That's a pretty big, that kind of, our building, if you've been in our building, a couple of them have, uh, we have 60 chairs. So now it's like 75 or 80 people uh, if they all stay and if, if they all continue to come. So do pray about that, and um, we appreciate that very much. Well, tonight I thought we would look at the subject of fruit bearing. And um, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 15. I've been meditating and looking and reading and rereading 
um, John 15. What a tremendous chapter. I think it's the only chapter like it. Is there any other chapter in the Bible really like John 15 about fruit bearing, about the vine and the branches and bearing fruit and how often it speaks about bearing fruit? I think Malcolm in his prayer, he mentioned about that we would bear fruit. You know, that is our goal, isn't it? That, that's what we really, really desire to do. We don't want to go through our lives uh, just going through the routine of Christian disciplines, attending church, going to meetings, coming home, doing certain things, but we want to bear fruit. Isn't that that's what we want to see accomplished, uh, to bear fruit. And uh, when you come to a chapter like this, it's a very challenging chapter. It's a very encouraging chapter, but a very challenging chapter. I have with me, and uh, I don't know where I got it, I think uh, some, some years ago, a, a letter that Hudson Taylor wrote to his sister, Amelia. And uh, in it, he talks about fruit bearing. And there's something very challenging, and I just want to read this little, little bit. He said, if, if Christ is the vine and we are the branches, he goes on to say, can Christ be rich and we be poor? If we're the branches and he's rich and we abide in the vine, can we be poor if he is rich? He goes on to say, can your right hand be rich and your left hand poor? If, we're, if we abide in the vine and he's rich, can we be poor? Is it possible to have one hand rich and one hand poor? He goes on to say, can the head be healthy and well fed? And then the rest of the body, weak and poor. He says, no, can you go to the bank and have money in the bank, but then not money in your household? And, and so he goes on like that for a little bit. And what a challenging thing to think about. The Lord is the, if, if he's the vine, we're the branches. He's rich. He's powerful. He's strong. Can we be weak? Can we be unprosperous? Can we be not bearing fruit if he is all those things and we're abiding in the vine? And so I want to think about this with you tonight a little bit, especially verse 8. I want to start with verse 8. Uh, it says, in this is my father glorified. And that's what our goal, I think, would really truly be. We want to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see God glorified in our lives. In worship, we want to see him glorified in the way we live our lives, our conduct. We want to see the Lord glorified. Uh, the Westminster Confession, uh, I think it's one of the first statements in the Westminster Confession. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That, that's what we as all Christians would desire to do. And as we read through this chapter, or the first 11 or so verses, and you come to verse 8, what a challenging verse. Verse 8, when I came to verse 8, I thought, I'm... This is really pretty challenging for the Christian life. In this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Our Father is glorified when we bear fruit. Not only fruit. You know, I could say, well, you know, I bear some fruit. From time to time I bear fruit. So, but he doesn't say that. He says, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. What a challenging verse to think about. And we fall short. I fall short in that. I certainly do not bear much fruit in my Christian life. And probably if you're like I am, there's times of fruit bearing. We know of, the, of Psalm 1. It speaks about that tree planted by the rivers of water that bears its fruit in its season. There is, there's probably seasons of fruit bearing, but we fall short. And I think we could say, and as I say in my own life, 
You know, God wants to do more in my life, and God wants to do more, I think, more in your life and more in our assemblies and more in my assembly. And uh, to see what this verse says, to see the Father glorified because there's much fruit. Now, fruit is not just evangelistic fruit, although there is that. There is evangelistic fruit. Keep your finger there for a minute and uh, turn to Colossians chapter 1 for a moment. Fifty-five times in the Bible. Uh, many times in the New Testament, but 55 times Old Testament, New Testament, do we read about fruit and fruit bearing and fruit in our lives. And many times in the New Testament, and in Colossians chapter 1, we read this about the Colossians and how Paul came to them and preached the gospel. In verse 6 it says, the last part of verse 5 says, the word of the truth of the gospel which is come unto you as it is in all the world. Look what it says next. Bearing fruit. That a tremendous thing. Speaks about the truth, the word of truth of the gospel. The gospel came to the Colossians as it is in all the world where Paul would go from place to place and the apostles and the workers with the apostles would go from place to place. It says, bringing forth fruit as it doth in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Encouraging thing to see this fruit bearing. And uh, so we want to think a little bit about this tonight, how to bear fruit and how we can glorify our Father by bearing much fruit. Probably one of the most used Christians, I think, in the past 150 years. He died in, Hudson Taylor died in 1905. Um, he was the son of a Methodist minister. He was away from the Lord uh, as a young person. He didn't have much. He didn't care much about spiritual things. He invited to a friend's house, and uh, the friend had to do something for a little bit. So he told him to go into his father's library. His father was a believer, and so he began to look around in his library, and he put, he pulled out a book, and in the book was a gospel tract began to read the gospel tract, and he got saved. So the lesson is, in your library, stick gospel tracts in all of your books. Who, you don't know who's going to go into your library and pull out a book and look at it. That's how he got saved. Not through the preaching of his father or someone else, but reading quietly in a library, a gospel tract. He decided to go and serve the Lord. He went to China as a young man, 21 years old. He went to China, and uh, in his life, uh, they say that he personally baptized and saw saved 18,000 Chinese believers. I don't know how many that is per week. He lived, uh, he spent 51 years in China. Uh, I don't know how many that is, but he lived spiritually, evangelistically, a very fruitful life. He saw 800 missionaries raised up and served, that served the Lord in China in his lifetime. That's an amazing thing. It's, it's amazing. Uh, I think someone in our modern day that is like this, George Verwer, with Operation Mobilization, probably 800 or 900 missionaries with them. His motto was God's work done in God's way will not lack God's supply. But he was the first one to talk about this phrase. I don't know if you've heard it before. It's not widely used, but union and communion. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are united to the Lord Jesus. We are in union with him. But that's not where the Christian life ends. But he went on to speak about communion. 
Communion as the key, fellowship, abiding as the key in the Christian life to see fruit in our lives. Hudson Taylor wrote one book. That's it. Union and Communion. Over, says 50,000 copies sold. It's more like 100,000 copies today. Uh, I have this book. I have a copy from 1900. And uh, it's an older copy. Kind of beat up a little bit. But he would say that is the key. The key to the Christian life is communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Abiding with the Lord Jesus. Let's take our Bibles here to Isaiah chapter 50. I know I have the verse um, on the overhead, but I just want you to look at it in your, in your Bibles themselves. A couple of verses I want to look at thinking about communion, union, fellowship, abiding. I've thought about this verse, Isaiah 50, verse 4. The first part of it says, first part of it says, He has given me the tongue of the learned that I might know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. What a, what a great ability, a, a great gift to be able to have that. To be able to go to see someone and know how to speak a word or speak, and speak words, share with someone words in season, just the right words, just the right thing that will meet that certain need, whether it be evangelistically, whether it be a need in their lives, whether they're going through a difficult time, a tragic time, a, a hard time in their lives, be able to go to someone and be able to say words in season, and to give a word, it says here in this passage, it says to, to be able to speak a word to him that is weary. Oh, that's, that can be a life-changing thing for someone, very encouraging thing for someone. Years ago, um, when I was first saved, the assembly I was in had a little kids' club, a little girls' uh, children's club in the afternoon, one of the girls was, uh, was sick, didn't come, came from an unsafe family. The Horvath family, two, two of the girls came. They lived right on the street. We went door to door, up and down the street, invited them to come, and they came. And one day they were sick, and, and the girls in the club told the leader about it. And so she went out to the local store, got a little coloring book, and ate crayons. And she walked up to the, to the house and uh, Signa was the mother, and she said, we heard that Heather was sick, and we thought we'd come by. We were praying for her, and we wanted to give her a coloring book and some crayons. She said, you know, nobody called, no friends called today, no teacher called about homework. You know, the next Sunday they came out to the chapel and kept on coming. Both got saved. The husband got cancer in a couple of years. He died. Both girls got saved. Wife got saved. And uh, kept him coming to the chapel. I, I think about that. I think about that in terms of this verse. Say, be able to speak a word in season. That's what they did. They just, the Lord led them to do something like this. They, did. they thought it would be drop off those coloring book and crayon and get on your way. Just do a little kind deed. But it was life-changing for that family. Life-changing. Verse 50, verse 4. Look at the first part of the verse. How, do we, how are we able to do that? 
How are we able to speak a word in season? How are we able to speak a word to him that is weary, that has a real special effect in that life? Look what it says in this verse. Last part of the verse, morning by morning, I think it really speaks of the Lord Jesus. This passage is a messianic passage about the Lord Jesus. These verses, verses 4, 5, and 6. But morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The idea is that we are listening. We are listening to the Lord. We wake up in the morning. Not that you've got to have a quiet time or a time where you read the Bible early. You can do that at different times in the day. But you're listening. You're reading the Word of God and you're listening. I used to, and I, I still do, I try to read through the Bible in a year. That's three chapters a day, about three or four chapters a day. You can read through the Bible in a year. I had a friend, he used to say to me, he said, I don't do it that way. He said, what I do is I read one chapter three times. I said, yeah, that's probably a better, that's probably a better way. Sometimes you rush through the Bible because you want to finish reading the Bible in a year. So you kind of, sometimes you kind of rush through it. But to read that chapter once and again and again, the, the Lord is going to speak to you. The Lord is going to the message the Lord wants to give you. I might miss it because I'm, I'm moving a little quicker through it. I want to get through the chapters. But my friend, he'll probably get that message. It says here, he wakens me morning by morning to hear as the learned. Look also on overhead. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived their unlearned and ignorant men, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. This was a number of, so sometime after the, the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus. I'm not sure exactly how long, but a number of months at least, maybe longer than that. And they still had boldness, still had that power. Now, from the observing of the Pharisees, they said... When they saw the bowls of Peter and John, they had been with Jesus. But do you think six months later, seven months later, a year later, it was just because they had been with Jesus? I mean, it had a great effect in their lives, but I think if they didn't do what Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, morning by morning he awakens my ear to hear as a learned. If we're not spending time with the Lord Jesus, that boldness and that, that relationship makes all the difference in the world. We'll move ahead a little bit. I'm going to skip over this. Uh, let's think a little bit about what is abiding. Reading the Bible. It says in verse 7, let's go back to John chapter 15. What is abiding in the Lord? What does it mean to abide? There's a couple of things we see in First John about abiding, what abiding is. No, I think it really is fellowship. Fellowship and communion. I want to share something that, that, that I've been reading just, just yesterday. You ever read, I encourage you, read John 15 and then read 1 John. You know, there are tremendous similarities in those two portions of Scripture. 18 times in 1 John we have the word abide in one way or another. Sometimes the word, it's the same Greek word, but translated differently. Dwelling. He that dwells in you and I in him. Same word. Abiding or dwelling in him. Or remain in him. Or he and, and, he and you. Eighteen times in First John. I was, I was thinking about that a little bit. I think 
He's the only writer of Scripture. Not in First Peter so much. It says the word of God abides forever in First Peter. But as far as abiding in Christ, First John is the only book of the New Testament that speaks in that way. All the twelve heard this, but only one, it truly gripped him, and he speaks about it 18 times. First John and John 15. If, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. I think one of the first things in abiding is to be in the book, is to be in the book. Dylan Moody, they said, had in the flyleaf of his Bible, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. I think it was Harry Ironside was preaching and he preached well. And someone came up to him and said, I would give my life to know the Bible like you did, like you do. He said, that's what it cost me. Spend time to spend time in the word of God. Takes time. Reading the word of God, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Memorizing the word of God. Meditating on the word of God. Reading your chapter three times in the word of God. Say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me from your words. Give me a conviction about, about something that you have for me to do in the word of God. Teach me, teach me what you want me to learn. Teach me something of yourself. Warnings and promises and lessons we can learn from the Word of God. As the Word of God gets into us, someone said it's better to have, it's not how many times you go through the Word, but how much the Word goes through you. Goes through you. How much gets into you, gets into your mind and your heart and your soul. And how much of you has convictions abiding in the Word of God. Prayer, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. You abide in me, and my words abide in you. I, I thought about this statement here in John. This is uh, John 15, verse 7 also. It's interesting they don't separate. I don't know if we should separate what it says here. My words abide in you, and prayer. Ask what you will, and shall be done unto you. You know, I wonder if, as we read through the word of God and we see something, the Lord speaks to us about now, isn't it good to be able to pray that thing? The Lord gives you a burden about someone who's lost because you read about something in Scripture about reaching the lost. I will make you fishers of men, or whatever it may be. And you begin to, see, begin to pray for that. The Word of God and prayer going hand in hand. It goes on to say, not in this passage, but confession, if we say we have fellowship with Him, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We read also, if any man sin, he says we should confess that sin and he will forgive us of unrighteousness. John 1, 9. Obedience and love for God. Look at verse 10 with me of chapter 15. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. But just look over also chapter 14 and verse 15 and verse 23. Here it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What is connection between love and keeping the word of God, keeping the commandments of God? Chapter 14 and verse 15. It says there, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Verse 23 
Jesus answered and said to him, If any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. You know, I think in a lot of places there's a problem with legalism. And I don't think legalism is what some people think it is. But I think there's a problem with legalism. Legalism sometimes is, uh, is, is exhorting and putting pressure on people to do, to do certain things. Pray for this person, go to this Bible study, witness here, do this, do that, do these different things. When we don't do them, when some people don't do them, and especially I think it affects young people. When young people don't do some of those things and we began to challenge them to do them more and more, they feel condemned, they feel discouraged. But I think one of the keys here in this passage is love. You know, when we begin to separate love from the commandments, when we begin to just be doing things without without the right purpose, without the right focus, without a love for Christ, when we begin to do that, when we when we combine it with a love for Christ, then his, then his commandments are not burdensome. But um, I'll just share something with you. My all my kids went to a Christian, went to a, a Baptist Christian school that I would say is legalistic. A lot of things you couldn't do, a lot of rules, a lot of uh, outward things, a lot of clothing type things, a lot of dress type things. And probably all the kids, a majority, probably 10% are going on today for the Lord. 10%. About 90% are not going on for the Lord. Don't go to church. They're older, they're in their 20s now. Their parents go, but they don't go. They don't go to other churches either. And I remember talking to Alan and Laura and Sarah, and they said it was legalism. It was all the do's and the don'ts and the outward and the external without the love for Christ. One of the things, I'm not saying we raise your kids perfectly, but one of the things I remember that we used to do, and when we would pray when they were little, go to their rooms and pray with them on their beds, I would often pray this, that our kids would love the Lord their heart, their mind, and soul. I think that's the key thing. If you love the Lord, well, the commandments are going to come and everything else is going to come. But if you begin to put pressure on the doing part of it without the love part of it, it turns into legalism. And it is deadly. And it harms people's, harms young people especially, but harms all people in their spiritual life. Here, when we come to chapter, chapter 15, he says he combines the love for Christ with the commandments. How do we know we're abiding? So I'll look at a couple of things with you for a moment. How do we know we're abiding? Well, we bear fruit. He says that, right? Any man, John 15, verse 2, every branch that is in me says that, 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 that abides in me, he says, will bear fruit. Look at look down at verse 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, the same brings forth fruit. In some cases we see no fruit. Those who don't abide in the vine. Some fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains. I think one of the key things is when we are abiding, abiding 
the way the Lord would have us to abide. And he abides in us. When we lay hold of the richness and the power of the vine, we will bear fruit. We will bear fruit one way or another. It might be evangelistic fruit. It might be other kinds of fruit. But we will bear fruit. I'll look for a moment with you with this question. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What does that mean? And what does verse 6 mean? A man, uh, if a man abides not in me, he is cast forth and withered, and men gather them and burn them. What do those two verses mean? This, this passage often is taken by those who don't believe in eternal security and say, see, here is a good passage. Here is a proof text passage that says people can fall away, lose your salvation. But is that what it means? I really think this, this chapter is all about the believer and the Savior and how we can be fruitful believers, how we can bear fruit. And if that's true, if that's what the context is, then that's what the thrust is, and that's what it's all about, well, what does verse 2, what does verse 2 mean? Verse 2 says, every branch in me, so we know they're saved, they're in the Lord Jesus. Every branch that is in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. I really think verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5 is all about bearing fruit. A number of years ago, many years ago, because it was before I was married, so it was over 25 years ago, I was in Israel. And I was on a bus tour. And we were in the southern part of Israel, and we were on this bus tour. I'm taking these pictures out of the window of the bus. I saw this. I saw a vineyard. So this is a vineyard. Okay, now it doesn't look like a vineyard here in Florida or in New York or in California, but it's a vineyard. Now look at this vineyard. All of the, it's not really a real sharp picture, but all the vines are crawling and creeping along the ground. There's no trellises. There's no wood post with wires or string where the vines can, can cling to and crawl, crawl along. It's all on the ground. Ever see a vineyard like that? That supposedly that is how, for 2,000 years, people, rural in rural areas, that's how they grew grapes. Not in these big trees and tresses along the ground. And they, it's a very rocky area. You can see walls, rock walls everywhere. Vineyard after vineyard. But then I saw one, one, uh, one vine that wasn't bearing fruit. And look what, it, look what happens in this. And there's a few other ones, but this is the biggest stone. Look what happens. It wasn't bearing fruit. The farmer comes along, and what does he do? He lifts it up, and he places it on a stone. Why does he do that? If it wasn't bearing fruit, he just could take it away. Just take it and... But what he's doing, he's cleansing it, and he's purging it, and he's cleaning insects and bacteria and dirt or whatever it would be that would be hindering that vine from bearing fruit. And he takes it and he lifts it up. He lifts it away from the, the ground and he puts it upon a rock so it can bear more fruit. Now, the Greek word take away can be translated two ways. It can be translated take away or it can be translated lifts up. The same word is used when the Lord Jesus speaks to the paralytic who was paralyzed for 38 years. He says, take your bed, take up your bed and walk. 
lift up your bed and walk. And I think that's what is being said here in this passage. The Lord is not saying because you're not bearing fruit, I'm going to take you, I'm going to throw you away and you're going to lose your salvation. But he said, I want even when you don't bear fruit. I want to make it in such a way. I want to do something in such a way in your life as the vine dresser that you do bear fruit. In this passage and also verse six, I don't think it's saying that these two verses and these two situations about fruit bearing, that they never bore fruit. I think every Christian will bear fruit sometimes, somehow, some way in their lives, but they don't always bear fruit. And so the Lord, when they're not bearing fruit, he lifts them up and he cleans and he purges and he prunes. But then there's sometimes, like in verse 6, sometimes they don't abide. They refuse to abide. doesn't mean they're not in Christ, but they refuse to stay in fellowship. There's no power. There's no ability to bear fruit. And so the Lord sets them aside, not that they're lost, but he sets them aside for usefulness. Our time is almost finished here. Maybe it is finished. But I want to look at just one last thing. Pruning. How do we know we're abiding in the Lord? We're pruned. Look at verse 2 for a minute. And most of us, including myself, we think that when we are disciplined and when we are chastened of the Lord... It's because of their sin in our lives. There's something wrong in our lives. There's something in our lives the Lord has to correct. The Lord needs to bring chastening correction into our lives. So we will stop doing that thing and we'll be going and, and we will continue to do the right thing. But it's interesting, the word chasten and the word pruned or the word purged and the word discipline is used in the Old Testament and the New Testament about 30 times. Only once that I could find, only once does it speak about Error in their lives, sin in their lives. And that's First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse and verse 32 speaks there that they would not be judged with the world. So the Lord chastens them, chastens them that they would not be judged with the world. So there it has the idea of sin in their lives. And because of that sin in their lives, the Lord's bringing correction. But every other time, it's not about that. Every other time, it's about chasing and purging and cleaning and pruning when they are bearing fruit. Look at verse 2 for a minute. It's when the person bears fruit that he is purged. It is when he is bearing fruit that he is chastened. Is that what you usually think? When we're being fruitful, we think we're doing pretty well. We think we're doing great. The Lord says, I want more. I just don't want some fruit bearing. I want much fruit bearing. Think of the example of Joseph for a moment. Joseph is doing in chapter 39 is in Potiphar's home. Potiphar's wife makes sexual advances to him. He refuses her. He does a good thing. He's bearing fruit in his conduct. He's doing a good thing. He gets thrown in jail while he's in jail. It says in prison, it says five times. The Lord was with Joseph in chapter 39. And it also says, I think five times or four or five times, the Lord prospered Joseph. So he was bearing fruit in prison. Chapter 40, two men come into the prison. And he becomes promoted to, the, to a chief position in the jail. 
Two men come in, the cupbearer and the butler, the, uh, the baker and the butler come in. They have dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams and he interprets them correctly. And he says that all, all interpretation comes from the Lord. And then at the end, he says to the butler, when you're restored to the king's service, remember me. What happens? The last word of chapter 40, last two or three words, and the butler forgot Joseph. And we know from the passage, from the context, he spends another 11 years in prison. He was fruitful. Wasn't he fruitful? He was, absolutely. Fruitful in prison, fruitful in Potiphar's home, doing the right things, fruitful in conduct, fruitful in holiness. But when he was bearing fruit, the Lord said, I want you to bear more fruit. And so he's chastened. You know what the word chastened means? Greek word, chastened. It means child training. Child training. That's what the Lord was doing. He trains us, trains us further that we would bear more fruit. Warren Wiersbe has a little book about fruit bearing. Uh, It's just a very short little book, but he says something in there that caught my attention. He said, when Satan tempts us, when Satan tempts us, he finds the weaknesses in our lives and he tries to tempt us in those areas and destroy us. He finds lust. He finds anger. He finds greed and unbridled ambition and power. And he uses those things to destroy us in our lives. The Lord doesn't do that. The Lord, when he tests us and he purges us and he works in our lives, he does it in the big disciplines of our Christian lives. He does it in faith. When he he worked in Moses' life, he did it in meekness. When he did it in Peter's life, he did it in courage. When he worked in Paul's life, that he wouldn't trust in himself. Turn with me for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We know the passage that says, There's no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able But with the temptation, make a way of escape. Look at chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, verse 8. Paul says, Brethren, I would not have you ignorant of the trouble that came upon us in Asia. We were pressed out of measure. There's no contradiction. No temptation has overtaken you. Pressed out of measure, above strength, to his very, very high degree. We had a sentence of death in ourselves. Why did all this happen? God allowing and bringing shipwreck and imprisonments and beatings and prison. And all of these things in his life. Why did all those things happen? Well, we read part of why it happened. Verse 9. All these things happened that we should not trust in ourselves, but that we should trust in God. When we bear fruit, God is going to purge us and chasten us. And discipline us that we bear even more fruit. Fruit of faith and fruit of not trusting ourselves. Maybe evangelistic fruit. Maybe other kinds of fruit. That God would use us and bless us in our lives. Just one last thing that I promise we'll stop. Back to chapter 15. Back to chapter 15 of John. 
Verse 16. I was meditating on verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. That you should that and or and ordained or appointed you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. He's speaking to his apostles. This has nothing to do with salvation, nothing to do with election or Calvinism. It has to do with service. You have not chosen me. I've chosen you 12. I've chosen you. You've not chosen me and I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. What a challenge. He says, my father's glorified when you bear much fruit. Here he says, I've ordained you, I've sent you out that you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. That's what we want, don't we? We want to see people saved and we want to work in their lives and mentor and disciple and do all we can to see them go on for the Lord, to go on for the Lord. As I was looking at this verse, I looked at the word ordain and got out my vines dictionary of New Testament words, began to look at the word ordained, was reading a little bit of something from August Van Ryan. And he said in the book that I was reading, and I looked at W.E. Vine, he said the word appointed here or King James ordained comes from the root, comes from the word put or to set down. Or to place. And so August Van Ryan said, this is what God does in our lives. He puts us somewhere. It might be a hard place. It might be a difficult place. The Lord chooses us in places. He chose the disciples and appointed them not only to just to go, but appointed them to be somewhere. A work that they were to, that they were to do. And that work was to bear in that work, they were to bear fruit. You know, Ezekiel in chapter 37, it says, The Lord called me, put his hand upon me, and he set me down in a valley of dry bones, and he said, Son of man, can these bones live? And he said, Lord, thou knowest. And he said, Prophesy, prophesy unto these bones that they might live. It was a hard place. Sometimes the Lord puts us down in a hard place, and he wants us to bear fruit. In our, in our chapel, we have a couple of men, maybe you have some here, that like to grow exotic fruit trees. Anybody here? That's your hobby? Fruit trees? Conrad Campbell Jr., some of you know him, that's his hobby. Uh, growing exotic fruit trees. A couple of other brothers, too. So I was thinking about this verse, and I started talking to them. I said, what happens if you dig a fruit tree for a while, dig a true, uh, fruit tree and plant it? And about a week later, you say, I'm not sure I like this place. I pick it up, dig it up, plant it somewhere else, put it there for a month. And I don't like where that's at. I dig it up again, and I replant it somewhere else. And then a year later, I dig it up again, and I place it somewhere else. I said, will it, will it bear fruit well? I said, oh, no. No, you're going to kill it. It's, gonna, it's not going to bear any fruit. It's not good for fruit trees to dig them up and move from place to place. They won't bear fruit. They need to stay somewhere. For years and years, they have to stay somewhere. They told me that without, that certain fruit trees will not bear even one single apple or pear or peach for many, many, many years. I didn't believe them. I believed them, but I didn't know to what degree, so I went to 
the internet. Just want to share this and we'll close in prayer. I'm way over time. I'm sorry for that. Apple trees, seven years before they bear a single apple. Apricot trees, four to seven years. Banana plants, four to five years. Cherry trees, six to nine years. Citrus tree, three to four years. Fig trees, four years. Mulberry trees, five years. Olive trees, six to eight years. It is said they don't bear consistently and abundantly for 15 years. Peach trees, eight years. Pear trees, eight years. Plum trees, eight years. Persimmon trees, six years. Now, why do I say all that? Well, the Lord wants us to stay where he plants us and to bear fruit where he plants us. And you may not like the place you're at right now, but you stay there and you stay there. Unless the Lord shows that you're supposed to leave that place, but stay there. And the Lord in time, as you begin to grow, you will bear fruit. I have chosen you. You have not chosen me that you should go forth and bear fruit. Let's close in a word of prayer. God and Father, we thank you for our time tonight. And we would pray, Father, that you would lead us and guide us. May we be ones that will bear fruit. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.